From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone, currently residing in Tel Aviv, Israel, and born and raised in Seattle, Washington. He is the founder of Startup Sales. Please welcome Adam Springer. <laughs> you know, I preparing for this podcast and I knew that that intro was coming and I was trying to think of some kind of smart way to come in and and still to this point nothing uh, <laughs> it's okay it's okay it. you have you have almost a full hour here to prove your smarts otherwise he is Adam Springer as I mentioned he is the founder of startupsales.io what do they do well most startups fail to get a sales system to a scalable and repeatable state Adam and Startup Sales help you develop the sales processes and strategies to get your ARR well above the million dollar mark. They specialize in founder sales strategy, growth hacking as it relates to sales, sales processes, building a sales team, as well as pricing. And on that note, our topic today is how to raise or increase your pricing. Adam, tell us why this is on your mind and why is this important to you? Uh, it's on my mind because uh, most early stage companies are afraid to raise their prices. Like, oh, I'm an early stage founder or we're an early stage company. Uh, we need to prove ourselves, and yada, 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 whatever the story is that you're, you're going to tell yourself. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that that's wrong. Raise your prices. We're going to learn <laughs> a whole lot more about that as this conversation unfolds. Before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about Adam, the person. So Adam, uh, I was doing some research on you and I thought it was really interesting that aside from being a sales wizard, you are also a wizard of the ocean, if you will, because you are a scuba diving instructor as well. Or I don't know if you are an active instructor or if you were at one point, but how did that come about? Well, I actually had two companies in America. I came to Israel uh, for vacation and was diving in the Red Sea and they said, hey, why don't you stay and become an instructor? And I said, I'm having fun. Done. <laughs> Wait, what well, was it like you were, you were just like diving so well, they were like, you should become an instructor or was it almost like their like uh, timeshare scheme where they're like, <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's a business at the end of the day, they, I'd, they, I'd have to pay for courses. Sure. Um, I mean, I was already a diver, but I'd have to pay for courses. Sure. I'd have to buy equipment. So of course it's like good for them, but uh, it was good for me too. So win-win. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about your experience being a diving instructor, what has ocean and sea life taught you about 
everyday life? It's a good question. I think there's two things. Uh, one is to stay calm because, uh, you know, especially I'm a technical diver, a rebreather for anybody listening and actually an instructor, instructor for instructors and instructor for rebreather, technical diving. Uh, and one of the things that you do a lot of the time is you, you run a lot of scenarios and you do a lot of tests. And during my testing stuff, we'd come back from a technical dive. And for those that don't know, when you're down uh, 70 meters underwater, uh, you can't come to the surface. It's just not an option. And so what they do to test you is they all of a sudden, somebody just disappears. They go and hide in the corner somewhere and they just disappear. And then you have to go do the protocol uh, of what you're supposed to do. And that gets really nerve wracking, especially when you have a partner that's panicking. Uh, so they really push you to your limits. And so you learn really quickly to remain calm. Uh, no matter what happens, it's, it's, everything's fixable underwater. So, and it's the same above water that everything's fixable. If you just take a breath and wait 30 seconds, uh, you'll, you'll figure it out. That's pretty wild. They, you're 70 meters underwater, which to me sounds like the most terrifying thing ever because I can't actually really swim. Uh, and, <laughs> and then they just like leave you there and go hide behind like a reef or a rock or something like that. Um, what kind of reactions have you seen out of people? Well, as an instructor, you're supposed to do stuff like take out people's breathing device, take off their mask and stuff like that. I, I've actually been punched in the face underwater. Uh, been, Why? Because you, know, you did that to someone? Like because you removed something of theirs? Yeah, well, and I won't let my students at a certain point, obviously, but I, you don't let your students go to the surface. So that means you have to wrap your legs around theirs and make yourself heavy so that they can't get up and they can't kick to the surface. That's uh, when panic kicks in. So uh, they kick you in the face or punch you in the face. They panic and they don't know what they're doing. So their arms are going everywhere. Uh, and then they hit you and take your mask and your breathing device out of your mouth. And so, and you just got to, again, remain calm. and. Uh, communication underwater that's the second thing that i wanted to say is communicate you have to be able to communicate very well uh underwater okay <laughs> this gets more and more interesting by the second here now in that visualizing this happening when their arms are flailing and when they're trying to kick you or punch you off of them is that like a conscious reaction of theirs because they're like, no, get off me, no. I got to get to the surface. Or is it just like they just don't know what else to do and their brain just kind of shuts off in that moment? They're in uh, fight or flight. Their brain is off and they're going for where they think the closest air supply is, but it's really just right next to them. Very, very interesting. And I can see, you know, you talk about it's taught you to be calm. I can see that in, this is our third conversation we've had, once <laughs> in getting to know each other, once I was on your podcast and now you're here. And if there is one word I would have to describe you, it would be calm. So I think you're definitely living that ethos, not only underwater, but above water. And I can imagine you strongly believe in sales and in the startup sales cycle. It is incredibly, for as much as a VC might be pressuring you, as much as an investor might be pressuring you to put the pedal to the metal and go, go, go. I can imagine you believe strongly in the importance of remaining calm amidst all that. Uh, absolutely. You're not going to get anywhere, especially in sales, if you're panicking and if you're stressed because you're going to lose the deal because you're, you're applying pressure that's not supposed to be there, uh, if that's the case. 
Or if you're still win the deal, you find pressure and they sense it and they're going to negotiate stronger. So then you also lose money. So it's not a good situation, no matter how much pressure the board is putting on you, the investors, just turn them out because the sales will only come when you're calm. Using that as our sort of jump off point, our main topic of conversation here is how to raise your pricing. Now, before that, can you just give us a little bit more background and detail? Uh, you know, I, I gave a quick introduction of startup sales, but perhaps you can give our listeners a little bit more detail on what it is that you do and perhaps how do you infuse calm into each of the different things that your company does? Let me answer that by kind of like telling the re more relevant part of my work histories. I've been the first uh, salesperson for three different companies. Uh, one of them is now a unicorn. One is almost 400 million, I guess. Uh, and one's the other one's private, but they're pretty good. So I've gone through this myself. I, I know what the founders are, are going through. Not that I was the founder of these companies, but I take pride in ownership of the company. So I feel like maybe I am a founder. But uh, I understand the pressure. I've been speaking to the board, speaking to the investors, speaking to new investors. I, I, I get it and I really understand it and I've been there. And so, and I've completely forgot how to tie that back in because I forgot what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no worries. So, so the question was, uh, what is it ultimately that you offer as a company with Startup Sales IO, and how do you feel like you're infusing calm or teaching calm within those different mechanisms? Exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> so I come from, from that experience. So this is what I do is I come in and I help uh, early stage startups uh, in two different phases. One is getting your first million. Uh, and then two, scaling that up to 10 plus million. And so this is really what I do is I come in and I, I work with you on the different. Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, let's put together a sales process. Sometimes it's a matter of, hey, let's just put down together this outbound strategy so that we could get some conversations going. Sometimes it's hiring a team. There's no cookie cutter, even if you're going to use like the same strategy. Don't listen to anybody that tells you it's going to be a cookie cutter because they're wrong. Even if your, your competitors, direct competitors are going to be doing something a little different than what you're doing. Everybody needs to be separate and, uh, and special. So this is what we do is we help make these strategies, these processes, uh, and we put them in place so that you could succeed and get more sales. Okay. So you're helping companies get to their first million and then after that, get to their next stage, which also, you know, it comes with some, I don't know about side effects or just growth sort of uh, contingencies. Cause once you get past that first million, likely then you're raising your next round. So there's a whole lot of things going on. And I can imagine having processes in place and maintaining some sense of calm is of utmost important at that point. So let's talk about pricing now. Our topic is how to raise your pricing. Uh, I think a good way to really dive into this, no pun intended, <laughs> is to <laughs> first talk about like a baseline pricing strategy. And I know it's different for depending on what you sell, but maybe you can talk through here what are different pricing strategies you have either come across or helped uh, implement in the first place before even thinking about raising, but just like a baseline pricing. I don't have any like particular strategy. Like I, I don't read books about how to price your, your product or service or anything like that. I, I do it based off of, I, obviously I've put processes in place for this, but I do it based off of my gut feeling. My gut has told me like, okay, here's what we need to look at. So I've, I've created like a process that 
goes through this. So some of the things that you need to do, start off with your pricing, is look at your competition, where are they at, and then throw that out the window. <laughs> Use- I was, I was funny you said that. I was about to ask, or in my head, I was like, interesting, he went to competition first. I wonder where this is yeah. going. Okay, so you throw it out the window, proceed. Throw it, throw it out the window, because everybody's going off of the competition, like, oh, the competition's here, it doesn't matter. Like, it's important to know what the competition is doing. Like, don't get me wrong, it's, it's super important to know what they're doing, what price point they're at, things like that. But you shouldn't price yourself lower just because you're, you're new and the competition's stronger, or something like that. Sometimes it's better to come mid-market or even uh, at the top of the game because uh, it's always easier to come down on price, but it's harder to come up. Yeah. So you want to look at that. You want to look at uh, the main point is what value do you bring to your uh, customers? This is the probably the most important thing is looking at what value you bring and not on a shallow level. You really need to dive down deep and understand the value that you're bringing them. So a lot of people will just say, oh, we're a CRM, we help salespeople uh, keep organized. Well, it goes so much deeper than that. And like, okay, how much time are you saving them because of these fun- main functionality? Uh, what happens if you don't have the CRM or if you have a CRM that's not a good, uh, a, not as uh, efficient or doesn't have the functionality that you have. So CRM may be not the best example here, but... No, I get what you're saying, point, though, right? Because then you yeah, also the point dig is into, the same. right? You, you dig into, okay, what stresses and does that remove from them? Does that free up in their schedule? Or what does it enable them to do, right? Those kinds of things. Exactly. And that's the most important part. And so you want to base your pricing off of the value that you bring. And then find something, a couple points, like, as I said, you go back to where your competitors are, you kind of find a price point around there. And then, as I said, throw it all away because now, you know, okay, this is where your competitors are at for this value, but we could be in a different place. And most people will say, okay, our competitors are selling uh, X amount per seat. Um, or it depends on what kind of product you're getting into. But if you're getting into like developer tools, they get super complicated, uh, you know, where they're selling per seat, but then they sell per usage uh, and there's different metrics of usage. Uh, so it, you have to have a degree just to be able to figure out what price you're going to pay. And, and sometimes you don't even know. Uh, and so the best thing to do at that stage when you're figuring out your price is try to make it as simple as possible. Uh, Because the more simple it is, the less friction you're gonna have in the sales process as well. So, yeah, go ahead. I wanna come back to one of the things you said earlier, which was it's easier to come down on price, it's harder to go up on price. And it's funny you mentioned that because just, I don't know why, but just yesterday, this random thought occurred to me about how like in high school, if I started the quarter off well, I always had some like fallback room. But like if on the first test of the semester or the quarter, you know, I say I got like a B or a C, it was always way harder to ultimately get to an A and oftentimes I didn't. I'm comparing those two scenarios there. And again, I don't know why that came to mind yesterday, but it did and just how much easier it is to do school, quote unquote, when you start off strong because you have some wiggle room versus when you start off behind, it's really hard to climb up. Uh, But can you talk through 
a little bit more behind that philosophy, why it's easier to come down and harder to move up? Well, let's start with the negotiation side. Just you can never come up on negotiation. Well, I shouldn't say never, but it's super hard to come up on uh, negotiation. But if it's not negotiation, it's to new clients. But once you've actually started to establish your foothold in the in a market, it's hard to come up on the price because then you're getting referrals or people are talking uh, to and sharing the information like to other friends and other companies and then you come in and you're five times the price. Well, what happened? Or you're going to have a full, let's say you're selling something that's $2,000 a month and you get 50 clients, a hundred clients. Now, two years later down the road, you've actually started now coming up the price. You've got to increase the price of those uh, past clients that are still your current clients because you're a business, you still need to make money, but it's going to be very difficult to get them from 2000 to now your current pricing, which is like $10,000 a month. And they're going to be like, well, why? We were paying 2000 So that's what makes it really difficult. And then what ends up happening is you're going to be too afraid to uh, raise the prices of those people. Then you have to service them. But now you're losing money because you didn't have enough margin available. So now you've got these 50 to 100 clients that you're losing money on, but they were your original clients. So you can't really let them go and you don't want to let any clients go. Uh, So it's a problem. So it definitely is a challenge. So let's talk them through how do we go about raising our price, right? Because that that is ultimately what we're trying to get to in this discussion is how does a company go about doing that? So it sounds like you shouldn't, if I'm getting what you're saying, you're saying is out of the gate, don't just be automatically the lowest price in the market. That shouldn't be your default strategy. So let's say that was not someone's default strategy. They looked at competitors. They threw that out the window. They kind of went with their gut after assessing the value, the true value of the product. And they've got a pretty decent market price. What are the considerations a company must take into account? Or what are the conditions that would... I guess, open up the internal dialogue around, hey, should we increase our price or not? Uh, well, I think you should just increase your price already. Like, just, huh, yes, okay. increase your price. There shouldn't be an internal dialogue. A lot of people are afraid to, to do it because they think it's a big number. Remember, when you're doing sales, first of all, you are, you're not B2B. You're not selling to another business. You're human to human. So you do have a human at the other end. However, unless you're selling to the founder, uh, you're selling to somebody who's spending not their money. So you, for you, $10,000 a month may be a lot of money. To them, it's nothing. They're, these bigger companies, if you're, especially if you're selling to enterprise, they're used to buying these six, seven, eight-figure deals like it's nothing. So you're coming in with a $60,000 annual contract. It's very low uh, for what they're used to spend. So remember, it's all relative. Okay. Um, so you're just saying, just go ahead and increase price. Don't necessarily think too much about it. I'm the CRO or I'm the founder of this company. I'm like, Hey guys, we're raising our price. What comes next? How much do we raise our price by? How do we figure out what to raise it by? And how do we communicate that? Well, let's go back. Like it shouldn't just be, a f- I should not say my own words, but uh, <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be just a flat raise your price. Obviously, if you're high in the market, and uh, then you're in a good place. But back to what I was saying earlier is, it's not just about raising your prices. It's also about lowering resistance with the price. 
So back to like, a, let's say you're selling a SaaS tool where you have, you're selling by um, the usage, you know, instead of just selling like, and that's what the industry is, is pushing is, okay, you're, you're going to pay per gigabyte of uh, data transfer or whatever it is. Well, instead of selling it like that, you could change it, the format, even though everybody else is selling it like that, you could change it. So it's like a flat fee. Hey, you're going to pay uh, instead of per gigabyte uh, of data transfer and a smaller portion uh, per total gigabytes storage, uh, we're going to just charge you per user because that makes things so much easier for people to calculate uh, and lowers resistance. So I'll give you an example. I was working with one company where they were selling a upfront fee in order to digitize a product like a 3D image. <clears throat> and then they were charging a, an API fee on top of that for all the usage that they were doing. So what we did is we found that they were getting a lot of resistance because that upfront fee to digitize the product took a lot of capital and that's a big risk for people. So what we did is we just said, okay, we're going to do that for free for you. We're going to digitize all your products for free. There's no problem for that. And what we'll do instead is we're going to increase our API costs. So every time a user pulls that up on your website, instead of paying us uh, a tenth of a penny, now you're going to pay us a penny. And what they found is that the, they were actually able to increase their sales. First of all, decrease the, the sales process time, but they actually increased their win rate because it was so much easier. There's lower resistance and they saw that their average deal size or deal value was about two and a half times. Why do you think there was less resistance? No upfront fee. Hmm. Okay, so no up. So they didn't charge for that digitization or however you, however uh, you had said it before. Mm-hmm. But they did 10x their API call price. Yeah. Well, but they lost on the, the digitization. So it's not like 10xing their overall profit. They, as I said, it was about two and a half in uh, time increase. So it's, but it, for the client's perspective, there's a much less risk because, okay, we're only going to pay for what gets used and it's only going to be used if it's successful. So that, hey, that's awesome for us. We're only going to pay if it's successful and there's no upfront fees for us. And the other thing is, especially when you're selling to larger companies, is now you slide under the radar. Now you can get approval because there's not, there's not a $80,000 uh, setup fee. Now you're flying under the radar because uh, there's a threshold uh, where you have to get certain approval. So now you could come in and get into the company. You get everything signed off, and you're not wow. above. You're not at that threshold where you have to get secondary approval. Okay, so in their case, win rate improvement, deal cycle probably sped up because there were less layers to have to navigate internally. Exactly, less if it's a layers and less people cost, to there's no deal like, with. one. Yeah, because a lot of these companies. I'm sure that they're selling to operate with like a once any outside vendor crosses X dollars in cost, it must get approved by CFO or, or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. A, so yeah, progressive usage is it's never technically crossing that in that singular threshold. <laughs> and it makes it so much easier internally to push it through because then there's like very little risk. I'll give you one other example real quickly of another company they sell uh, bulk data via an API. And so they were selling it for like, okay, it's going to be, let's say 5,000 API calls a month for uh, $1,000 a month. Uh, But 
its annual contract. So $12,000, uh, $12,000 for 5,000 API calls a month. So what we did is I came in and I said, okay, instead of $12,000, let's make it $18,000, $19,000. I don't really remember exactly, but we increased a lot. And instead of calling it a yearly contract, you get a bulk amount of API calls that you could use and they expire in one year. Mm. And so that also reduced the friction because now it's not a commitment. The price increased, but there's no commitment. You're not committing for the year. You're buying the, the API calls and you could use it for up to one year. And so it's the same thing, except for now you've just increased your price. How about, so I get that in the API call sense or, or companies where usage is what they would price off of. What about yeah. companies where it's really more of like a, more or less a flat fee or perhaps it's based on like per seat or something like that. But think of like, you know, your more traditional, let's say SaaS product where, you know, you're buying the, or, you know, the annual license or the monthly license if you don't want to pay the annual and it's not, you know, you could use it a million times or you could use it one time, but it's the price isn't changing based on usage. What either from examples you can pull from or just from the knowledge you have, what would you recommend is a strategy there? So first of all, think outside the box. You know, just because, as I've said before, because the industry is charging uh, per user doesn't mean you have to. There's a lot of other ways to charge it. And uh, also, sometimes you just want to keep it that way. Even if that's what the industry is doing, uh, you're absolutely right. Maybe sometimes the best way to do it is per user, even if all your competitors are doing that. So you could still raise your prices. It has to do go back to what value you bring. And so that then this goes into sales skills. Your sales team then needs to come in and, and deliver that value. And it's not coming in and, and having a presentation and a sales deck. Or look at all these features and functionality we have. Like nobody cares about that. I mean, that's, that has its place in other uh, areas. But when delivering value, it's about asking them questions. It's about qualifying the prospect properly, understanding what pains they have now, what problems are they facing, what frustrations are they having, uh, what is this costing the person you're speaking to, what is it costing the company, both in, times, uh, in terms of financial, emotional pains, uh, what's happening to the business, is it going to cost uh, clients, is it going to hurt the business by lost revenue? And so when you start asking these questions and you start diving into these things, you become much more sexy in the eyes of the prospect because you understand the prospect. You understand what problems they're having and that's how they feel just because you ask them the right questions. And when, when you feel like, wow, this is really the company, this is really the product that I need, it doesn't matter that it's 20% over what the industry is charging. This is very specialized for me. So I understand that whole point of being able to really get, really capture value and get them to recognize value. Mm -hmm. um, how do you juxtapose that against the fact that the market may just already be conditioned to something like this should cost X dollars or in the range of X dollars. How do you, how do you get over that? Like there's already market conditioning around what pricing should be. First of all, there's a word there that you use that I've never heard before. Check, check. Or did you say justified or juxtapose? 
Juxta, juxtaposed. What juxtaposed. J-U-X-T-A-P-O-S-E. Or with, past tense would be a D at the end. Uh, <laughs> meaning next to. How, you know, how do you compare that to? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, when, when the market is conditioned to a certain thing, I mean, you're looking at more of a... I'm guessing you mean more of something that's like a lower price point. You're talking about like maybe $50 a month, $100 a month. Well, I mean, even, I mean, you could probably go above that. Let, I mean, let's just, I'll just toss out two actual companies. Okay. You have who are competitors in the SaaS market. You have Gong and Chorus. Uh, let's say they're, if someone knows they, maybe they've demoed with Gong. So they know what their pricing is. And then they go take a demo with Chorus who has you know, a similar enough product, though a different point of view and maybe, some, maybe a few different features. But whether you're Chorus or Gong, the market, at least if they're familiar with this idea of revenue intelligence and conversation intelligence, they're like, okay, well, a product like that should cost, I don't know, 10K a year for X users, and then it should increase by you know, however much per user beyond that. So then if you're the other company coming in, you know, if you're one of those two or you're a third company coming in into that field and you're like, well, hey, we're actually 20K or something like that, right? right? Like the market is already aware that a product like that costs a certain amount of money. So are you price locked at that point? No, I don't believe so. And, and I'm going to take this into the B2C kind of world. Uh, imagine like a, you're in the market for a four-door sedan. You know that the four-door sedans, they typically, the average range is, you know, I haven't bought a car in America, so I don't know, uh, <laughs> but maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's say 50K is, is a flat yeah. price. Yeah. And, but you've got the S-Class Mercedes mm. that is 100, 120, I'm guessing. You've got BMW. Uh, you've got all the way up to yeah, Rolls-Royce and Bentley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so- Which is different than like a Hyundai Santa Fe. Exactly. So there's obviously a market. You could obviously increase your price. Now you have to bring more value for that. You can't make the worst product and get the highest price. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, I mean, there are some big companies out there that have been giants so that they've been in the market so long that they could get that but uh, and not have the most innovative product. That's why startups are doing so well. It's because we're able to innovate so much quicker. But uh you're not price locked. You bring in more value, you show the value. And part of that showing the value is, is building that relationship and understanding the client and bringing that pain. Hmm. So the bringing product the value, has to, the yeah, the product offering has to match or has to deliver whatever the perceived increased value is. And it's interesting you say that because not so much in like the startup and tech world, but in a lot of like the coaching world, which is, you know, more or less the, the realm that you and I operate in as businesses, right? The coaching and training world uh, or consulting world. You'll see a lot of the advice for people like us is, and I think it's actually misguided and that they're like, you're not charging enough. You should raise your prices today, which like, I, I understand the sentiment behind that. However, there are some people, and I'm telling you, there are some consultants and coaches and trainers who simply don't have an offering, <laughs> that is worth <laughs> that much money. Like they haven't figured out their processes yet. They've got a really shitty workflow. Like, so it's not just raise and do nothing. <laughs> it is like yeah. raise and have some incremental value at, at the same time. Well, and I know this myself because as you said, we're both consultants. And, yeah. and when I first started consulting, 
uh, and leaving the office world, I guess you call it, about two and a half years ago, it was really difficult for me because I have the experience. I have the knowledge. I didn't know necessarily how to pass it on and pa- not just pass it on in a organized and yeah, framework. Way. Yeah. A way, yeah, and, a way that and, can be taken by someone else and used and repeated. Right. Exactly. And so until, and it probably took me about six months and, and I hired help as well. I got a coach and everything to help me with this. Uh, until I got that, I couldn't raise my prices. I couldn't I could barely get the, uh, the, money I was asking for at that time. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm turning people away and, and drastically raising my price. I'm, I'm fully booked. So once you have that structure, you're able to show how you're going to bring value. Mm. And that's the same thing. You can't just come and say, Hey, look at how cool, look at how much experience I have. I'm going to help you. That's not enough. Right. And it's the same with a, with a SaaS tool. It's not just look at what features we have. We're going to help you. Yeah. It's how are we going to help you? What are we going to do for you? How is it going to help you? And that's where you get the money from. Yeah. And if I look at, you know, my own case, take this time two years ago, in comparison, my pricing now is minimum 4X higher for my upper tier of my market. Uh, but what's changed? Well, my offering has improved. It's more organized. It makes more sense for the target market. And I also went more up market with my target audience. So yeah. I moved up market with, with who I'm selling to. And then I have pricing that better reflects what that market should pay and what they get for that increased value. Not that they necessarily know that something used to cost X dollars for a you know, smaller market. But then at the same time, I actually decreased my price for the early tier of my market, which is the seeking seed funding market. Yeah. Uh, I basically ramped up on one end and decreased by a lot on the other end because I saw, you know what? I was getting way too much price resistance on the lower end for companies that are trying to raise money in the first place. They probably don't have much money to begin with. And Whereas the company that's series A, series B, series C, that's scaled up, uh, they've got a lot of capital and they want to spend money to get things right. That's part of your sales funnel as well. It's, it's a, uh, like in the retail world, it's called a loss leader. You take a loss in order to get more business later on. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's effectively kind of what you're doing there. And it makes a lot of sense because once people actually get in the door and start working with you or I, they see, wow, this is worth way more than I paid for. Uh, and I'm seeing a return on investment within three, four weeks. Okay, let's move on. Let's, how do I accelerate this even quicker? Yeah. Let's begin our wrap up. Adam, where can our listeners find you and learn more about startup sales? Uh, well, you go to the website, startupsales.io. Uh, although that hasn't been updated in a couple of years, that's become such a low priority. Uh, but LinkedIn, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Adam Springer. Uh, you'll see a big picture of me with a uh, startup sales and a bunch of keywords about B2B sales. And you have your own podcast as well. Where can our listeners find that? Yes, exactly. And, uh, you were on it just last week. So, uh, any podcast up, it's called app, it's called startup sales, or you could head on over to startupsales.io and and listen to it through the website as well. Yeah. And fun fact, if you're on your podcast platform, whether it's Apple or Spotify or whatever else, and you type and you're searching for my show, Startup Hype Man, and you stop after startup and then just hit the space bar, 
startup sales will appear in these suggestions. <laughs> so it's not that far of a departure from the Startup Hype Man podcast. You're already there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've done 80% of the effort just by trying to find this show. All right, Adam, who do you want to shout out? It could be a colleague, a client, a mentor, an advisor, anyone. Who's someone you want to shout out tonight or today? <laughs> wow, that's, you know, I've, have, as you said, I have in my own podcast, I've been able to learn so much by so many people. So I, that's hard to say because... Mentors, this is why I started the podcast, uh, is to learn. I would say any of my guests, like any of them, they, you have learned so much from any of them. Um, give, us, give us one name. We can at least tag them uh, when this goes live. Sure. So um, Vern Harnish, uh, he, his episode, I probably spent more time taking notes for myself than actually like, you know, being a podcast host. Uh, and I really learned an incredible amount from him. And I wish I could, you know, have another like, you know, 10 days straight with him and it would only start scratching the surface. Awesome. We will now give our final top lessons or takeaways for the listening audience based on our discussion today. I'll go first and then I'll toss it to you. So our topic today was how to raise your pricing. And to me, the biggest things that jumped out were out of the gate, do not just price based off of what the market is pricing at, because then you're sacrificing your own value from the start. Uh, and then the other thing that I thought was um, very interesting in this conversation that I think is helpful to understand and, and take away is this notion of understanding where can you like you can use the idea of reducing friction as a mechanism towards getting more value and therefore increasing price adam top lessons or takeaways for the listeners today i would say i didn't directly said it but when i was talking about uh you know that you're not taking the money out of the person you're speaking to's pocket it's out of the company's pocket so the zeros are less important so the main point of that there is have confidence in your pricing. Say it, it, shut up, and listen. <laughs> have confidence in your pricing. Say it, shut up, and listen. My final question, which is how we end every episode on the show, fill in the blank, Adam. Entrepreneurship is blank. Hard. <laughs> Exhausting. Uh, <laughs> Rewarding eventually, but hard and long and, and very, very tiring, but fun. Thank you. He is Adam Springer. He's the founder of Startup Sales. I Oh, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. As did I. Thank you very much. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. 
Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.